Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Hi, this is Steve Robbins, host of the Get It Done Guy podcast. I'm here today with Michael Port, the author of the book Steal the Show. Michael is an actor, a business person, a speaker, uh, a trainer, an entrepreneur. I'm impressed with him nine ways to Sunday. And I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. One of the things that your book really starts off with in the subtitle of the book is it talks about a set of skills you can use in speeches, job interviews, and deal closing. And let me tell you, when I think about giving a speech, going on a job interview, and closing a deal, those seem like very different activities to me. What do they have in common? Why Why does your material apply to all of them? Anytime you're speaking, you're speaking in public. If you're having a dialogue in your head, that's one thing, but all speaking is public speaking. And when you are in a job interview or a negotiation, or a sales meeting, or even on a first date, you want people to think, to feel, or to do something different. You want them to say yes to you. And that's the same thing that you're doing on stage. You're trying to produce a particular result and you're using communication and performance to get them to say Yes, or to think differently or feel differently or do something differently. So there's a lot of crossover between those different scenarios. Now, if we're talking about a first date, I'm thinking, I don't know that I would think of a first date as a performance so much as an experience in utter insecurity, (laughs) self-loathing, and fear. Yes, well, that is a performance in and of itself. Look, Chris Rock has a great joke. He says, you don't go on your first date. Your representative goes on your first date. And I, th- I, I, throw that, I throw that in there about the first date being a performance because we, we do recognize that day in and day out, we are trying to put our best foot forward, which is a type of performance. Now, hopefully, it's an authentic performance. That is the key because, say, on a date, if it's not authentic, you might not get a second date. If it's not authentic when you're going in for a job interview, you're not going to get that job. If it's not authentic when you're in that sales meeting, you're not going to be the one they buy from. And when you're not authentic on stage, people tune out very quickly. So performance and authenticity are not in conflict with each other. They are, in fact, the same. Now, you're talking to someone who doesn't have a background in performing in the way that you do. You say authentic and performance, and my brain says those two just can't possibly go together. I thought the whole point of a performance is I take some other character who I'm not, and I stand up and pretend to be them even though I'm not them. Yes, and that would be traditional acting. 
But what I've done with Steal the Show is taking the techniques and the principles that an actor adheres to in order to create compelling characters and applied them to non-actors for the performances they need to give in everyday situations. Because if you think about your life, your life is in large part made up of the choices you make and the way that you perform in high stakes situations. So if you perform well in high stakes situations, you'll do very well. If you don't perform well in high stakes situations, you might not. And the actor is put into high stakes situations all the time. So there are techniques and principles that you can use that you can appropriate from the world of performance and bring it into everyday life. The greatest performers in the world are generally the most authentic ones. The ones you don't buy, the ones you don't believe in, it's because they look like they're faking it. They look like they're acting. But let's just take Tom Hanks, for example. Tom Hanks is a very popular actor. And when he's playing a role, say he's playing a soldier in World War II, he knows that he's on a movie set. He knows he's wearing a costume. He knows that he has makeup on. He knows there's a camera in front of his face. And he knows that his name is not actually the name of the character he's playing. But what he's feeling when he plays that role is real. When he's angry, he's angry. When he's upset, he's upset. They are real feelings, and that's why you connect with him so strongly. So what I'm doing is helping people connect to other people in the moment using some of those techniques and doing so honestly and authentically. And sometimes people ask, yeah, but if I'm, if I'm performing, if I'm thinking about you know, different aspects of my life as, from a performance perspective, well, what, what, I, don't, I, I don't want to come across as, as phony. And so, of course, I ask them, are you phony? They say, no, of course not. I'm not phony. What are you talking about? And I say, then you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to be phony. Just like in sales, it, people worry about being sleazy in sales. And so then you ask them, are you a sleazy person? And they say, no, of course not. Then you don't have to worry about it because you won't behave in a way that's inauthentic, but you will amplify different parts of your personality that allow you to play the right role in any given situation. And that's what's important. One of the high-stakes situations where it's really important to be able to play the right role is in a job interview. And they say the research bears out that basically the first 10 to 15 seconds of a job interview already goes a huge amount of the way towards the interviewer making the decision as to whether or not to hire you. Mm -hmm. So that's your opening statement. What do you do when you walk in? so that you start on really the right foot, because sometimes it's that walking in moment that's going to set this tone for everything else that happens afterwards. Yeah. Don't waste time with filler. Just cut to the chase. Same thing when you're giving a speech. People will often come out and say, I'm really happy to be here. Well, what's the alternative? That you're really pissed off that you're there? So what we do is show them how we feel. We don't need to fill up the space with Oh boy, my arms are tired. I just flew in from Boise. You know, we don't we don't need this unnecessarily filler. But what we do is we often go for approval rather than results. So we obsess about on what they want from us rather than staying in the moment and not working to prove ourselves. When I left acting, when I left, I needed to get a job, but I had a master's in acting from NYU. And I thought, well, wh wh what kind of credentials do I have that I could bring, you know, to another organization doing something on the business side? And I applied for a job in the fitness industry on the business side. 
and I was completely unqualified for this job, according to the job description. But when I looked at the actual job and what was required to perform well in that job, I felt I had the necessary skills. So when I went in there, I cut right to the chase. First thing I said is, listen, if you look at me on paper, I'm completely unqualified for this job, but here's why I think you should consider me. And I made my case, but I didn't, didn't try to prove myself. I just made my case and I didn't focus on the outcome, meaning I wasn't so obsessed with the outcome that I couldn't stay in the moment. And that's, what's very, very important. So preparation is key because preparation is what allows you to be in the moment. Preparation is what makes you feel comfortable. So one of the, one of the best ways to reduce anxiety is to be well-prepared. Which naturally, of course, leads me to wonder, what would you say is like is the number one key to preparation? If I'm going to go in for a job interview, for a deal closing, for a speech, what's, if I can only do one thing to prepare, what is that one thing? Well, there isn't one thing. And it's going to be different in each situation. But it's very, very important, say for a job interview, sales meeting, negotiation, that we really know and own our backstory. What is a backstory? Well, a backstory in the in the world of character development is where that character came from. What makes that character who that character is now? And often in those kind of situations, they want to know how you got here. They want to know how your backstory, how your history applies to this particular moment in time. Being able to introduce your history in a way that's relevant to them is critical. So let's say you walk in and you're applying for a job in the business world and you only have an acting background. It sounds like you began by cutting to the chase and saying, I don't appear to be qualified. How did you make it apparent that your background and your backstory was really something that supported what they needed in the moment? So I identified what I believed were the key skills that were necessary to perform well in that particular job. And then I looked at my backstory and I said, well, what do I have that would apply to that? I didn't spend one minute wasting my time obsessing about what I don't have. One of the things that was very important in this particular position is to understand how to create experiences because this position was to manage a division of a company, a middle management position in this company uh, to manage group fitness, a department that ran group exercise for this company. So I made the case that I have an extraordinarily strong background in creating experiences for audiences. I demonstrated that I know how to create experiences. And then I said, well, look, I might not know how to teach all of these classes, but based on my experience of working in ensembles, working with others, I think I can do a great job helping these other instructors create even better programming through collaborative means. And here's what those would look like. So again, it was matching up what you have to what they need. Just always being straight up. Here's what I've got and here's how I think it applies. I'm beginning to hear now that when you walk into something like a job interview and you've identified things in your backstory that seem to fit what people need and you're cutting to the chase, you're then delivering that and you're delivering it in a, almost a performance. And, and I know you have a secret weapon for making performances creative and compelling, and I would love to hear about it. The secret weapon is contrast. Dum, contrast dum, dum. is the, yes, bum, 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 bum. Contrast is the secret weapon for producing 
compelling content and you're producing content when you're in a job interview, uh, in, a, in a sales meeting or, or on a stage and wowing an audience. And an audience, the way that I define an audience and still the show is one person, 1,000, 10,000, 1 million, doesn't matter. An audience is somebody that you connect with. And you don't need to be an entertainer to be a performer. That's critical. Performing can be about connecting with one person. It's not just about wowing an audience. If you build contrast into any performance that you give, it will be more exciting. And there are different types of contrast. There are three different types of contrast, in fact. When you're giving a speech, say, let's go to the, let's go to the stage the stage could be, you know, in front of a boardroom, a conference room. The three types of contrast that you're looking for are structural, emotional, and delivery. Structural, emotional, and delivery. Now, delivery contrast means you're figuring out, you're finding different ways to deliver what you have to say. And sometimes it's using visuals, video. Sometimes you're using props. Sometimes... You're in the audience amongst them. Sometimes you're on stage. Sometimes you have them work together to come up with ideas. That's a different type of delivery. Emotional contrast is just as it sounds. You move people from highs to lows, from humor to sadness, to intensity, to lightness. It keeps them on their toes. It keeps them on their feet. And then there's structural contrast, different ways of organizing your information from story to uh, very uh, tactical, numerical frameworks. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And when you do that, when you use those three different types of structure, you create a much more interesting, a much more stylized presentation that has lots of different things 
to pay attention to. Different delivery methods help different types of audience members because some audience members learn differently than other audience members. And again, the emotional roller coaster is exciting because it's not one note. And then the structural delivery is very important because then it's not the same over and over and over. You mentioned in the structural delivery, you mentioned story versus frameworks. And I happen to be really fascinated with story. How do I tell stories so that they're good stories? Hmm. Using Aristotle's three-act structure. The three-act structure is the structure that most playwrights use, most uh, film makers use. And what it does is it creates another framework for the story. When you're thinking about telling a story, remember that just because something happened to you, it doesn't mean it makes it a compelling story on the stage. And just because it happened to you doesn't mean that you can tell it in a way that's compelling without molding it, sculpting it, and then ultimately rehearsing it. So act one is the exposition. This is the given circumstance. It's the time, the setting, the place. It's the information that the listener needs to know in order to understand what's coming next. Now, if there isn't enough exposition, then they get confused when you drop the big bomb, when you start to share act two. If there's too much exposition, then they get bored and anxious and tired and like, let's get to the point. Come on. It's why I say no filler at the beginning. The act two is the conflict. This is where the story gets meaty. Often act two is the real bulk of the story, but there's some sort of inciting incident. There's something that happens that creates conflict. And of course, as a result, some action occurs. And usually you're trying to fix the problem that occurred. Well, then something else happens. There's more conflict and then some more conflict and more conflict and it keeps building. And the more tension that exists in that story that you create for the audience, the more compelling it usually is for the audience. And act three is the resolution. This is the punchline of the story if it's a joke. This is the everybody lived happily ever after or everybody died in the end. And the punchline, this resolution, it needs to be worth waiting for. So if you have a very detailed story with a lot of exposition and a lot of conflict along the way and you get to the exposition and you get to the resolution and it's kind of meh, they go, oh, all of that for that? So what we're doing is we're making sure that that resolution is significant. Now, if it's a really quick story, then that resolution doesn't need to be quite as significant because you got there pretty quickly. When I tell stories for an audience, I always sculpt them. And this is important because I want people to understand that just because I teach public speaking and you know I'm on the circuit as a public speaker and am well known for speaking, I'm not up there winging it. The stories that I tell, I've worked on, I've crafted, but they feel like they are told in the moment. And that's one of the things that we touched on a little bit earlier, this idea of being well rehearsed enough, knowing your material so well that you can forget everything that you rehearsed, walk on stage and create an extraordinary experience for the audience as if it's happening for the first time. Oh, when you say rehearsed, you actually rehearse it all the way down to the word? Not always. It depends. I have one particular keynote that is scripted out like a play. It feels like a one-man show. And that is scripted out to the word. And I'm able to deliver that as if the words are coming to me in that moment, like I you know, never said them before, because of my training as an actor. I don't expect everybody to do that. 
I think that's a, a particular skill that needs to be developed over time. But then one of my other keynotes uh, is something that is organized based on a structure and very specific ideas and has a really, really big idea, a clear promise, a strong through line. And then I work through that and I am much more improvisational inside of that. So there are different ways to do it. And one isn't better than the other. They're just different for different people based on their particular style of performance. How would I rehearse something that is of the looser structure that you described second there? Would I just go through and review it in my mind or would I actually get up and just improv it a couple of times through whatever structure I had designed? Often we will create an outline and then we'll put some slides together and then we'll go through it in our mind a few times before we give the speech. And often we feel a little bit disappointed in ourselves. There are very few people that can can really go onto stage and with very little preparation, kill it. Really what most of us need to do is we need to organizing it using a framework that helps us organize the content. So A, we can remember it and B, the audience can consume it. And in Steal the Show, there's a number of different frameworks that I introduce, but just remember that the better organized your information, the more of an expert people think you are. The organization of the information is very, very important. But what you're doing is you are on your feet rehearsing that based on your outline, based on your key points, based on the promise that every key point delivers, and based on all of the stories that you use as glue to move you, to transition you from one part of that speech to another. But yes, you are on your feet delivering that over and over and over again before you bring it to an audience. For most people, that's what's necessary. Now, one thing I'll say, I understand that sometimes people feel that they will get stiff if they rehearse. And one of the reasons they feel that is because they've tried to rehearse before and it hasn't worked very well. They were stiff in the performance. And that's in large part because they only did a little bit of rehearsal. So what was happening during the performance is they were attempting to recall what they did in rehearsal. And as a result, they weren't in the moment authentically performing for that audience. They were trying to think about what they did before and recreate it, but they weren't well rehearsed enough that they had it in their bones. And once this, once your speech, once, once your material, once your story is in your bones, uh, then you can deliver it any which way till Sunday, anywhere, at any time. And that's the key. You know, when you're working on a wedding toast, you're going to need to do more work on a wedding toast than you probably will on the speech you are going to give to the corporation next week because you've been speaking on that topic for 10, 20 years to the corporation, but the wedding toast is completely new. You've never given that wedding toast before, nothing like it. What I'm encouraging many people to do is to take that same philosophy and apply it to the performances that we have to give in everyday life. Maybe not eight months of rehearsal, eight hours a day, but much more preparation and that kind of preparation uh, than they might typically do. After you've performed and given your speech, at some point, sadly, you have to leave the stage or you have to wind down the date or you have to leave the job interview. How do you leave gracefully and in such a way that people are just awestruck? So if you're giving a very curriculum-based speech where you were teaching lessons, then yes, wrapping up those lessons and reiterating those lessons and, and repetition is much more important than I think many people realize. A repetition to the to the extent uh, right up to the point of redundancy when you're giving very uh, heavy 
curriculum-based speeches is very important. But when you're wrapping up at the end of the speech, you want to avoid saying, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Because it gives the audience the impression that that performance could have been delivered in one line. And don't do anything after the applause. We don't go, oh, no, no, ah, I forgot, I forgot this. Oh, no, no, you hold on. Oh, or at the back of the room, there's going to be this. Well, you take those, you finish really cleanly. Thank you very much. You get the applause and you walk off stage. And finally, never apologize for not having enough time. If you start a speech by saying, you know, uh, I thought I was going to have this much time, but I have less time, so I'll do my best to get everything to you. Well, right there, you just told the audience that they're not getting what they should have been getting. Or at the end of the speech, you say, oh, I wish I had more time. If I had more time, I really could have done all of this. Then they go, oh my God, I just, I didn't get the full thing. The amount of time you have is the perfect amount of time. And the better rehearsed you are, the, more, the, e the easier it is to manage that time and adjust your speech based on the time you have because you can pull pieces out and still be very fluid in the delivery of the entire speech. Makes sense. Since we are coming to a close, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Just remember to go for results, not approval. It's very hard to get approval without results. And a lot of times when we are performing, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're going for. We're trying to get people to approve of us. And the, the performer's paradox is, is, is difficult because on one hand, you want to go out and do big things. You want, to, you want to make a big statement. You want to make a big impact. You want to make stuff happen. You have a strong intention to do that. But on the other hand, you have another intention. And that other intention, it's driving you to do things to make sure that you don't screw up, that you don't get laughed at, that you don't get rejected. And those two intentions are completely in conflict, going out and doing big things and trying not to screw up. They, they don't work well together. And the, the bigger your desire, the stronger your intention to go do big things, the stronger your intention not to screw up they often are in conflict with each other. Now, this is not always the case. This is not for everybody, but often this is the case when we're doing something new that is, that is, that is challenging to us, uh, that, that scares us a little bit. So I say, don't worry about the approval. You go for the results. Don't focus on the critics or the negative voices in your head. Just focus on being helpful. And if you're helpful, you'll produce results. And if you produce results and are helpful, then you'll be good. And you'll get all the approval that you could possibly want. Excellent. Well, you have been very helpful, and, and I approve. So see how well that worked. <laughs> well, thank you. There we go. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, if you'd like to find Michael, first of all, you should check out his book for sure. It's Steal the Show. And if you go to stealtheshow.com, he has bonus packages and things uh, there for you. And he has a podcast also called Steal the Show. And check out the podcast because it is skyrocketing to the top on iTunes at the moment and absolutely worth uh, checking out. Michael is a great guy, has fabulous material, and really well delivered. We love to listen to him. So <laughs> thank you very much, Michael. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. The Living Room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. 
Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.